Tonight our lesson is on the subject of drunkenness. And the truth is, is that America, our country, our state, our county, our city has a sin problem. And the sin problem is one of man's greatest difficulties because man doesn't see sin as it is really sin and how serious it is. You know, in Romans 7 and verse 13, Paul would say, he says that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. One of the greatest problems that Israel had and one of the greatest problems we have is to see sin as it really is. The truth is, is that sin is deadly dangerous. In Romans 5 and verse 12 just as one through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. And in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So many people think, oh, well, it's just a little sin or I just commit this sin, I don't commit that one. People do not realize the seriousness of sin in our world. And the truth is the Bible calls drunkenness repeatedly sin. And so tonight what we want to do is we want to look at examples of the sin and we will not look at every one of them. We want to look at the exhortations from Scripture and then finally to notice eternity is at stake. When you start to think about drunkenness, drunkenness goes all the way back to Noah. You see, this morning, I didn't mention that, but we'll observe a little bit later. But if you trace drunkenness throughout history, you can find drunkenness just almost in every culture. And if you go back to the time of the Greeks, the Greeks actually had a god for wine. It's called Dionysius or Bacchus, depending upon which uh, language you are using. And quite often you will see, as the little upper picture shows you, uh, this God looks like he's got vines for hair and he's got drink in his hands and uh, believe me, the Greeks enjoyed getting drunk. In fact, the Greek theaters, uh, I remember the first time Tim and I went to Israel, we went to the city of Bethshean and... Um, as you went there, there's a, a huge Roman theater there. And our guy walked over, and there was these little circle areas there and looked like little wells. And I remember him saying, those are vomitoriums. And uh, what they would do is they would consume massive amounts of wine, usually gorge themselves on food, and then they would go stick their finger down their throat and throw up so they could do it all over again. And you say, well, that's just outright disgusting. Looks awful, sounds awful. You can imagine the smell of that in a theater. But what about the modern Greek fraternities on most of state college campuses? And when you see people who are plastered drunk and they're passed out, you see, we live in a sin-saturated society just like they did in the first century. And the truth is, is that if you watch the television, you're going to see alcohol commercials. And there they glorify drinking. There's a young man and a young woman, and they're just having such a wonderful time as they drink that alcohol. 
And when you find someone intoxicated on television, it's always portrayed as humorous, but the truth is, it's sad. I don't know how many of you have had drunks in your family. I have. I don't know how many of you have had to take care of a drunk. I have. And I can tell you that it's disgusting. They stink. They're usually covered in some sort of spittle, maybe their own vomit that the Bible speaks about numerous times. There are people who are just in a pitiful condition. Now I want to tell you, I mentioned that we live in a sin-saturated society. In the last 12 months, here in the city of McMinnville, the board of mayor and aldermen have been obsessed with making alcohol much more accessible. And you know, in the first century, they didn't mind calling names, and I don't mind calling names either to tell you that the majority of our board of mayor and aldermen are obsessed with this. For instance, just about a year ago, they voted to allow alcohol to be sold on city property. Their main emphasis was to have it sold at the Park Theater, which millions of taxpayer dollars was built, paid to build this place or restore this place. They also wanted to have it in uh, the Civic Center so they could have their events there. Initially, when they did it, they put it on all city lands, and they realized that pretty soon they'd be serving beer at the ball games for these young children. And so they backed up a little bit and then just designated it in certain areas. They also voted about a year ago to remove all the restrictions with regards to churches and schools. You know, at this present time, it is 300 feet from door to door with the exception of downtown. They voted to remove it there and they would have made it citywide if it hadn't been for the intervention of a couple of the board members to try to at least limit it and to keep it from being so badly. You see, we do live in a society and there are people here who are promoting it they're encouraging because they want to sell wine in grocery stores. They want to have package stores all over the town. And you see what happens? They have wine tasting contests. The photo that's on the left is actually the one that was held at one of the uh, assisted living centers here in town. You can see the Southern Standard gives it headlines. Package liquor gets enough signatures. But let me tell you, those people who've already had it, they know what it brings. The other day I was looking at package store problems and immediately the Chicago Tribune comes up. And what it says is Park Heights wants fewer liquor stores. And you can say, well, they're trying to stop it. Why are they trying to stop it? And if you go on and you read this article, it talks about people can't even walk on the streets. Because there's drunks on the street. They're intoxicated everywhere you go. And everybody says, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. Little by little by little, what's been taking place in our city is people have been allowed to promote this to the point where our city has become saturated with it. But now I want to turn my focus to what the Scripture says. And I want to point out to you that what the Bible says is true regardless of what I would say or what your friends might say or even what you might say. 
In Romans 3 and verse 4, Paul says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Whatever God says on any subject is the truth, whether I like it or I don't like it, whether I want it to be so or I don't want it to be so. And God will be our judge. Morality is legislated by God and not man. And woe to anybody who would say otherwise. This morning in our class, we talked about Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We have a world that is totally confused as to what is right and what is wrong because people do not know God's word. As Brother Michael Clark emphasized last Sunday afternoon at the Bible Bowl, Hosea 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But I know some people are going to say, Well, I, I heard this preacher say that there's nothing wrong with it. I heard this preacher say that in the biblical times they all drank fermented wine. They all were intoxicated. And so we really can't oppose it at all. Really? Do you know Micah chapter 2 verse 11 said, If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, well, what would he say? I will prophesy to you of wine and drink. Even he would be a prattler of this people. You see, there are people who can lie to you. They can tell you things that are not correct. And in Micah's day, he called him a prattler. We would call him a hireling, someone who will tell people what they want to hear rather than what God has said. Alcohol, drunkenness, causes people to do things that they would not otherwise do. In fact, I want you to take notice of Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. If you'll remember when Noah came out of the ark, it says he began to be a farmer. When you begin to be something, that's when you start. He was not a farmer all the way through his life. And it says he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and was drunk. Evidently, he didn't understand what it was going to do to him. And it says he was in his tent. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment. Some people said, well, now all these people are going to do, they're going to get drunk, but they're going to do it at home, and they're not going to be on the streets, and we ought to allow that to happen I want you to notice what follows in verses 22 and following. He said, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now pause for just a minute. It may appear that he went in and he saw his father naked, which his father would not have done had he not been drunk. But that's not all what happens. These two brothers go in backwards. They lay the, the cover up their father's nakedness. But if you'll notice verse 24... So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Evidently, this was a homosexual act. Evidently, this was something that was gross. And Abraham would, or Noah would have never let that happen had he not been drunk. People in their homes will do things, say things, they ought not do under the influence of alcohol. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 13, David tried to do that with Uriah. He brought Uriah home. He wanted him to go down so he could cover up his sin. It said David called him. He ate. He drank before him and made him drunk. At evening he went out to lie on his bed with his servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, Hannah is praying to God, wanting a child. She's barren. She wants a baby really bad. She's promising, God, if you'll just give me this child, I'll devote him to you for his life. Eli is observing her praying, and it says, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Now listen carefully to what she says in verse 16. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. The implication is clear here. Had she been drinking the wine, had she been drinking that intoxicating drink, she would have been a wicked woman. However, it's when you get to the book of Proverbs that you see some very sobering truths. Yeah, there's a pun in that. Sobering truths. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, he said, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a broiler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Mocker. It makes you look silly. It makes you look foolish. Broiler, it makes you want to fight. Anybody who follows it is not a wise person. Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkards and the gluttons will come to poverty and drowsiness will close a man with rags. I want you to notice, he says, don't mix with them. Don't allow yourself to... Start doing the things they do and running with those kind of people. The classic passage in my judgment, though, is in chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at wine... Those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes shall see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They've struck me, but I was not hurt. They had beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Oh, if you unpack that verse, you could spend a whole lesson just on the things that are a part of a person who drinks. But then you get to chapter 31, and you're, you're dealing with King Lemuel, who I believe to be Solomon. And I believe he's referring to what his mother taught him and, and tried to explain to him, Oh, son, this is what's important. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink 
and forget the law and and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. You see, kings who drink intoxicated, they can't reason properly. They, They can't bring about righteous rulings. Neither can those who are the subjects of the king. But it's not just Solomon. The great prophet Isaiah, the statesman prophet, he also addressed numerous times the intoxication of wine. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until midnight or until night till wine inflames them. The harp, the strings, the tambourine, the flute, and the wine are in their face, but they do not regard the work of the Lord or consider the operation of his hands. People who drink are not interested in what God wants done. In chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Woe to mighty men, mighty in drinking wine. Woe to valiant men for intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the justice of the righteous man. They drink, they drink, and he pronounces a woe upon them. In Isaiah 28, verses 1 through 3, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. He describes them as their glories of the fading flower. You drop down to the latter part of verse 2 and into verse 3. Who will bring them down to the earth with his overflowing or with his hand? The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. And then you drop down to verse 7. But they've also erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They're swallowed up by wine. They're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Now listen carefully. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. I've talked to friends who are in other congregations who've left them because the men waiting on the Lord's table were drunk. Folks, when you have religious people who think it's okay to get drunk and to come to the services of the Lord's church and try to participate, they are making a mockery of God. Along with Isaiah is the prophet Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, there's these woes. In fact, what's interesting, you go earlier in the chapter and he says, I want you to make it so plain that he who runs may read it. You, You make the message clear so nobody can misunderstand. And he says in verse 15, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. Oh, there's, a, there's people out there who are trying to give drink. And I'm going to tell you the distilleries, the, the liquor companies, they really want to push this. They want to convince people, you need to buy this drink. They want to profit at your expense. Someone says, oh, that's Old Testament. But the New Testament has the same message. Passage Brother Bob read to us a few moments ago from Romans 13. Listen carefully. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, 
not in strife and envy. So want all those bad things go together. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You become a Christian, and once you become a Christian, you lay all that aside. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, he says, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. You don't eat with those people. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We studied that verse this morning in our Sunday morning Bible class. Now the third part of this lesson is to make it plain and make it clear. Eternity is at stake here. Does it matter whether or not that a person goes against drunk? Can he just say, you know, I'm sorry, I wish I hadn't done that? Listen to Paul as he writes the Corinthians. And the Corinthians would have known drunkenness very well. It was a port city. Sailors came through. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen carefully to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Okay, that's when you're baptized. You were sanctified. Now you're set apart for the Lord. Now that I'm set apart from the Lord, I don't do those things anymore. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When Paul wrote the Galatians, which involved that central Turkey area, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, could have actually gone up if you used the, the whole Galatian province up even north of there. These are people who had the influence of an ungodly world upon them. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now what did he say? Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, you mean if I do those things, I can't go to heaven? That's right. If I practice these things, I can't go to heaven. The recreational use of alcohol is a sin. Now, I could deal with a lot of quibbles up here tonight. In fact, I almost decided to stretch this lesson out and deal with a lot of things like, could they have unfermented wine to drink in the first century? Absolutely. They had several means by which they could preserve it. The most common was to boil it down to a syrup and then reconstitute it. You can find that in numerous ways. 
I thought about addressing some of the questions that people raise, like what about Jesus when he made wine from water in John chapter 2 at a wedding feast at Cana of Galilee? Jesus did not make intoxicating drink. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. What about the medicinal use of it? Well, medicinal use is one thing, but the recreational use to, to make someone inebriated is sinful and it is wrong. It is also sinful to lend support and encouragement of someone to sin. I know that you have heard before that a person can be an accessory to a crime. For instance, you may not be the guy who took a gun and went into a bank or a liquor store and robbed it. But if you're the man driving the getaway car, you are just as guilty as those who went in with a gun. And you'll be charged the same. And you and I cannot vote yes and say, let's legalize liquor stores. Yes, let's legalize wine without contributing to it. It's just a sin as well. There is a better way. I want to end this lesson with Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look at verses 18 and 19. Because Ephesus, just like the Galatians, just like the Corinthians, were people who lived in a society saturated with alcohol. Here's what Paul tells them. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't allow yourself to be drunken with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And you say, well, how do you do that? Actually, verses 19 and following have several participles that explain that. The first one is speaking to yourselves or one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Some people think they can find joy in a bottle. They will not find it there. What they will find is a life that is a loser's life. On the other hand, if a man decides what I am going to do is I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. I am going to sing to God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give thanks, which he goes on to speak about in this context. You see, the truth is tonight you don't need a bottle. What you need is the Lord and to be faithful to Him. Tonight, if you're not a Christian and you want to become one, there's no greater joy that any of us could have than to see a new brother or sister obey the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess that faith, and then to be baptized. That's what they were taught to do in every instance in the book of Acts as they were converted. If you are a Christian and you've let sin dominate your life, why keep sin in your life knowing that it's destroying you. We sometimes sing the song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. You can lift a tremendous burden off of your shoulder tonight by repenting of that sin and letting us pray together.
If you need to respond, please come as we stand together and sing.